Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Jeffrey Olson. And I would like to say his book, Knowing, is the best NDE book I ever read. <laughs> Thank you. And I got the first copy when we were in Sedona at the, um, the thing you had. I don't remember what you guys called it. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Human Triumph. Yes. Human Triumph. Oneness through human triumph. And I, I recall that well. And that was the first edition, like hot off the press. And um, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Peggy. I'm really glad. Yeah, I read it all the way back home. So that was a road trip for us. We drove from Ohio there. Wow. That was that was a long road trip. Yeah, and there's a lot of snow coming home too. We seen semis <laughs> on their side, and I just kept reading my book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was uh, February-ish, so it would have been very cold across the Midwest and as you moved east, yes. And beautiful in Sedona, people in the pool, and yeah, we had never been there before. That was a treat for us. Yeah, well, I, we I, at the time, I lived not far from Sedona, and I'm now back in the Rocky Mountains of Utah. I live near Sundance, but I've been very lucky to live in some beautiful places, whether it was in the desert you know, down in Arizona or in the Rocky Mountains of Utah. I've been very lucky that way. Oh, I'm just so thrilled that you're on and I'm sitting here with Jeffrey Olson. I'm like a groupie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a groupie. Don't be a groupie. I'm a bit of a groupie of yours anyway. So it's all oh, good. Thank you. So um, would you like to start wherever you like? Okay. Well, let's talk about the NDE. Let's, okay. um, let's go back there. And, and it's interesting. I mean, I can speak very freely about it now. It took a long time. I couldn't speak of it for almost a decade. So it's actually been 24 years since uh, I had my NDE. And um, it, uh, it was the result of a car accident. Um, the entire family was in the car. And we were on a road trip. In fact, we'd been out seeing all the sites. We'd gone from northern Utah to southern Utah down into the Red Rock regions. And um, it was on the way home from that that, uh, that we had an accident. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's still difficult to talk about sometimes because it was me, my wife, our two sons, my oldest son at the time was seven. My youngest was just a toddler, just 14 months old. And there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red pickup truck driving erratically on the interstate. But one of the most difficult things to talk about is I, I believe I may have dozed off at the wheel. Just, just for a second, just kind of nodded off, but then I overcorrected to the left and right and lost control of the car and the car began to roll, not off the road, but down the road, uh, the, you know, propelled by the concrete at, uh, at 75 miles an hour. And um, it was a horrific accident. The accident reports say that it probably rolled no less than six or eight times. Now I blacked out for most of that. Um, but when the car came to a stop, I was completely conscious. And the first thing I heard was my seven-year-old in the seat behind me crying hysterically. But it was that cry, you know, that a father knows of thinking, wow, I've, I've got to get to my son. He's okay. I've got to get to him. And, and that's when I realized that I could not move. 
Um, I was pinned either to the floorboard or to the seat. I couldn't tell. There was the, you know, rancid smell of gasoline and all the broken glass. And uh, I was unaware of my injuries in that moment. Now, I was in intense pain and I was struggling to breathe and I was holding on to maintain consciousness. But what had actually happened is both of my legs had been crushed. Uh, my left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. My back had been broken, at least the vertebrae were damaged. And uh, luckily it didn't damage the spinal column, you know, so I still have full use of, of my limbs, although the left one is gone. But my right arm was nearly pulled off and the seatbelt had cut through my midsection and ruptured all my insides. I had no idea. All I knew is that I heard my son crying. I wanted to get to him. But that's, uh, that was the awful moment when I realized that no one else was crying. And I became acutely aware that my wife, Tamara, uh, was gone. Uh, she was killed instantly in the accident. And... Um, not to be graphic or morbid, but she was sound asleep. She had reclined her seat back, and so the seat belt did not restrain her properly. And, uh, and she was killed instantly. And then Griffin, my youngest son, his, his car seat had broken apart. And um, at the time, he had actually come out of the car seat and had been ejected from the car. And... Uh, you know, my, my feeling was, where's my son? Where's my little boy? And, and I knew, I knew in that moment that he was gone too. And, um, you know, true enough, he was. Both my wife and my youngest son were killed instantly. My seven-year-old was banged up pretty good, but he, you know, he was okay. And, um, and I was in a horrific state physically and mentally and emotionally. And uh, I don't, I don't share all this to be graphic or, or, you know, morbid, but that was, that was the moment. That's, that's what constituted the near-death experience. So I'm there pinned. I'm losing consciousness. I can't breathe. My youngest son is screaming hysterically. I know at that point that half the family's gone and I begin to lose consciousness. Uh, I was able to eke out, and my, my son Spencer remembers this and talks about it. I, I called out to comfort him, and I remember doing this. I said, it's going to be okay. And um, in my heart, I thought, that's a lie. It's not okay. And it was in that darkest moment uh, that, that light came. This is when the near-death experience began, and I suppose my soul left my body because suddenly in that deepest, darkest moment, and I'm attempting to comfort my son, and I can't even get to him, and I say it's going to be okay, light came, and, and it came to me. It's as if light came and surrounded me and was comforting me in this darkest moment of my life, and, and it felt as if I was rising above the accident scene. And I was a little bit confused. I mean, I was a believer, but I had never experienced anything like this. In fact, I was, I, 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 it was so horrific. And I was thinking, how can I be okay? Suddenly I could breathe. There was no pain. And I was like, my thought was, how can I possibly be okay? 
And I seemed to be surrounded in this light that was so comforting and so loving as if it was comforting me from all the trauma that had just taken place. Now, the interesting thing is while I was in that light, um, Tamara, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene, suddenly she was there in that light with me. And uh, she was gorgeous. I mean, there was no injuries. She was absolutely very much alive and beautiful and emphatic. She kept saying, Jeff, you can't come. You can't come. You've got to go back. And uh, we had a conversation. We literally had the conversation about, look, you know, we got a little boy in the backseat of that car. And if you come with me, he's going to be orphaned. And I learned a lot about choice in that moment because um, there I was looking at the woman I loved more than life. And yet I knew I had a little boy in that car that was going to be okay. And I, I made a choice and uh, I chose to come back. And that was interesting too. Um, I have no concept of time in this bubble of light. I mean, I later learned that people arrived at the scene, you know, I had to be extricated from the car and, and Spencer, my seven-year-old, yeah, he was banged up. He broke his arm and bruised his ribs. And, and uh, you know, with my injuries, I, I had to be life flighted or airlifted to the nearest one trauma center. Uh, the nearest level one trauma center was in Salt Lake City. So, you know, I, I was unaware of any of that. All I knew is I had wrecked the car. I had said the most profound goodbye I'd ever say. And then I made the choice, the intention to return. And I actually found myself wandering about that level one trauma center, moving about the hospital, seeing the doctors and the patients and the families of the patients and the nurses. And, uh, that was a profound thing for me. That changed me forever because as I saw each of each of them, and when I say that, it was I was really seeing them. Like I was experiencing them. I was experiencing the essence of them. I knew, I knew their love. I knew their hate. I knew their motivations. I knew their fears. I knew, I knew everything about them as if they were me. I, I call it the oneness. Now I was I was experiencing a oneness. And did you say I, you were a ghost at that point? Well, yeah. I mean, they didn't seem to be aware of me. So my spirit or my ghost or my essence was traveling through the hospital. And I finally did come up on, you know, a man or a body laying there that I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was strange. And that's when I stepped forward and looked closer and realized, oh my goodness, that's me. Or, or, it wasn't me. I was having this profound connected experience, but that was my body. That was the skin suit that I'd been living my life in. And I knew I was to get back in it. And um, again, that was interesting. That was just about intention. You know, I didn't have to figure out like, how do I get back in? It was about choice. I'm going back in and then I was back in the body, but back to all the guilt, the grief, the trauma, the pain, the regret, all of it uh, was so heavy. It was very difficult to, uh, to be back in the body. And, you know, there's an you interesting... You had physical and spiritual hell at once. 
Oh yeah. It was, I mean, and, and the funny, and it's not funny. The odd thing is, is the physical stuff. I mean, I was aware of it, but it was nothing compared to the emotional grief of half the family's gone. And I was driving the car and where's, you know, my, my seven-year-old son that survived and, and, you know, what's, what's happening. The grief was absolutely overwhelming. It felt like constant panic. And, um, you know, it, it, it was odd. There's an interesting side note to this too. And uh, as I was airlifted or life flighted in that the trauma team was there, I think, I think there was five surgeons working on me from, you know, orthopedic to my, my lungs had collapsed. So there was respiratory stuff going on. There was all kinds of things happening. But the attending ER physician, a man named uh, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, both he and one of the trauma nurses experienced my wife, Tamara, in the, in the ER room, in the operating room. Uh, and Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll speaks openly about this, which is interesting as a clinician. I mean, you know, I have nothing to lose to tell my near-death experience. He, you know, he, his, his professional reputation perhaps could be on the line by he saying, gosh, I saw this woman who had passed in the accident, her soul was in the operating room, but he says that he saw her, he encountered her, he said she was standing like above the gurney or the bed that they were working on me, and she communicated to him. And the interesting thing when I asked him, and that's a whole story of how we were finally connected, we didn't know each other from Adam before the accident, but uh, he when I asked him, what did she say? What was she communicating? He said she was simply sharing her gratitude for everything we were doing to save your life. And, and I thought, well, of course, that's what she would do. I mean, I knew he was telling the truth because he portrayed Tamara, who he had never met in life so well. And um, that's what she wanted. She wanted you back. Oh, yeah, she sent me back. I mean, she sent me back. I chose to come back. I, you know, and yeah, when, when, you know, I I can imagine this team working on my body to, to, you know, keep me alive. um, That's exactly what she would do. She'd be grateful that they were going to keep me alive. And and they did. Um, They did. Now, you know, early on in the hospital, it was horrible. I mean, I was ventilated. I had a big tube down, you know, doing the breathing from my lungs, my legs were obviously immobile. They'd had to amputate the left leg. My right arm was immobile because it had all been torn off. They, they eventually tied down my left hand because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment. And I was in the hospital for over five months. I mean, I had 18 surgeries in total putting me together. And you guys went from a beautiful, was it Easter Sunday day? Yeah, yep, it to was that. Easter Sunday to that. I mean, yeah. It was, um, you know, it was contrast. It was the duality that life seems to offer so many of us, the, the, the beauty and the joy and then the pain and the sorrow as well. But, well, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if Spencer told you, but um, I approached him at the, um, what'd you say you called it, at the Sedona thing? Yeah, the, uh, the oneness through human triumph is what we called it. I approached him. I felt something moving me. In fact, I felt it before we left the house. And we really, honestly, we were having a hard time financially at that time. And I was like, I really want to go to that. And 
we really can't afford it. And, and I won the tickets. It was so weird oh, because awesome. I didn't really know Robin Lansong. And I just happened to be flipping through my phone and I seen, she says, Jeff just told me to give free tickets to somebody. So the first person I'm like, it was like a minute. She had just posted it and I'm like, me, 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 you know, and I got it. And I'm like, okay, we're going, you know, we got free tickets. He's like, wow. You know, how are we going to, I don't know. We're going. And then I started having second thoughts like the day before. I'm like, you know, this is silly. Really can't afford, you know, everything else. And I really want to go, but I'm like, okay, we're not going to go. And I felt something like I had to go speak to Spencer. Like out of the blue, I'm not a medium. I'm not psychic or anything. And I'm, I told my husband, I said, I got to go. And I don't know why I said this for Spencer. And then you guys was outside doing this, I think a sage thing and some things that I'm not really, you know, I've never been around before. And, and I, and I told my husband, I says, come on, walk inside. And I was feeling that lead feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this, this lead feeling, it kind of like leads you. And it's like this holding place. Now you wait. And I'm like, mm. okay, I'm feeling this so strong. I don't know what's happening. Then all of a sudden I got the knowing and I seen, I was like, wait till everybody's gone. And it was just you and Spencer out there. And then you walked away and I walked over to Spencer and I told, I can't remember my exact words, but it was something like, do you realize this isn't about your dad? This is about you. This is about your mom's love for you that she defied the laws of nature to bring you back, to bring your dad back. That's your dad's doing this, but it's because your mom defied the laws of nature. And he looked at me and he, I'm thinking, he's probably gonna think this, get this crazy lady away from me. He said, can I give you a hug? Is he there? Is he listening? <laughs> no, he's not. Okay. I mean, just, okay. I, he, he, he's just, he's written a children's book about grief and death and his experience from, you know, from a seven-year-old perspective, but he's, he's an incredible man. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was looking the other way. I thought, is Spencer there? Is he saying, I can't remember no, that. No, I, okay. I, I still, we, we just did a presentation last night where he was with me and I was just okay. looking at the presentation that, uh, you know, that we had done. And, and um, anyway. he said, can I hug you? And I, and I hugged him and I just felt, I don't know your wife, you know what I mean? I no. don't know, her, but I felt, I felt something. And he said, what you just said to me, he says, I always knew it, but I forgot it. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> and it was just, and I said, if I could build a statue right here in Sedona to your mother and to say, this is a mother's love that defied the laws of nature to bring your dad back to be with you. I mean, I was just so moved by this. And, I don't know. It's just a little silly thing, but it, I don't know. I, I oh, felt like it meant a lot to him. Yeah, and when I got your book, all. I wanted him to autograph it. And he did. He autographed my book. It's signed by Spencer. He said something really nice in it. <laughs> well, he's, he's an incredible young man. And um, yeah, gosh, he's, uh, he, you know, he's married and they're working and they've got a little house and I'm watching him, you know, live his life. And uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, when they moved into the little house, there was a lot of fixing up to do. And so I was up there and we were, you know, we were moving things with them. And I had a little, I had rented a little like cargo van to move some of their furniture and things in. And um, it's funny, Tamara, his mother is very active because I, you know, they were all moving and they were cleaning up the house and put things away. And I said, I'm going to take the rental van back. I'll save some money and get it back early. 
but I swear as I was driving, she was there. You know, she was there. I, I, I don't see her with my physical eyes all the time, but I felt her just like she was in the passenger seat as I drove that van back. And uh, she communicated very clearly. And, and it was very moving to me because there was so much gratitude. And she said, you know what? He turned out really good. <laughs> I, I, I tear up. She said he, yeah. he turned out really good. And it, it, was like a, it was like a nod. It was like a thank you. It was like, look, it was all worth it. He turned out really good. He and is he, a sweet young man. He's an incredible, he's an incredible young man. And, and I, I just, I, I so appreciate you sharing that because yeah, that is, it's love. It's a mother's love. That's, it's love. That's the most powerful force in the universe. And, um, and I think as, you know, for my NDE as, you know, I was 25 years old as in heaven and I was told it was my time and I was pleading to come back to raise my sons. And I just suddenly felt this, you know, I was getting ready to go to Sedona and I felt this connection. Like I know what it's like to defy the laws of nature for your son, Yeah, you know, to come back and like, I've got to take care of this. And in her way, the only way she could was to make sure you were back. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was her time, but it obviously wasn't mine. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I, my friends tease me and say, you got kicked out of heaven by your own wife. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I, <laughs> yeah, I did. But my it, husband's it, it, laughing. He yeah. heard you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled you shared that. And, and uh, you know, Spencer was my main concern, even in the hospital. And those were horrible months. I kept throwing pulmonary emboli, the blood clots that lodge in your lungs. I had horrible infections and they wouldn't even let Spencer see me in the early months because my abdominal wounds had to be left open because of the, the infections and things that were going on. And, and um, you know, when I was stabilized, they, they allowed him to come. And, and uh, there was profound things in the hospital. I don't know that the door ever really closed, you know, I mean, but I Do was you want so to tell the story where you saw your baby. Yeah. Yeah. That was at the end of my hospital stay. And, and it'll, 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 I can bring that right back to Spencer because it, it, it's so intertwined. It was profound. You know, the hospital was difficult. There was so many things going on. I was in ICU. I'd get out to surgical recovery. I'd go back to ICU. But at the end of my hospital stay, and I, I think it's worth mentioning after I was off of all the narcotics, I mean, I was literally just a week or so from returning home. And, you know, they were teaching me how to attempt to dress myself because my left leg was cut off. My right leg was in a brace. My right arm was in a sling and a brace. And I only had one hand and I was to, you know, get in this electric wheelchair and drive it with my one hand. And I, I actually couldn't do it. I had to be lifted and put into the wheelchair. But it was that point I had a profound experience, another near-death or out-of-body experience, if you will. And it was interesting because they had finally stabilized my abdominal injuries. I still had a colostomy and all these things, but I could finally lay on my side. I could sleep on my side. And my brothers were giving me a bad time because I'd laid so long on the back of my head. I'd rubbed all the hair <laughs> off the back of my head. But I, I fell into a sound sleep this night. And I remember thinking uh, almost as if I was conscious in my sleep. It's like, wow, I'm actually sleeping. 
I'm actually sleeping. And yet I'd grieved, you know, so miserably during those months in the hospital and continued for years after. I mean, I still have my days that I'm grieving. But I fell into this profound sleep and that light came again. I felt that same light like at the accident scene and it seemed to be comforting me in my grief. And I felt as if I was rising above the hospital bed. And, and yet in this instance, the, the light dispensed, it, it, it dispersed. And, and I was in the most beautiful, glorious place. I, I, I mean, people say heaven, you know, the other side, the spirit world. I, the only word I can come up with that is even close to what I felt is I was home. I was home and I, and I, it was so physical, even though, yes, I was a ghost. I was out of my body. I, it was so physical. I could, I began to run. I had both legs and both feet and I, I began to run and I could feel the energy of the ground beneath my feet and I could feel the intelligence in my calves and thighs. And I was gleefully just thinking, I'm home and I'm whole. And I, I, I felt so much alive. And uh, it, it was in that, you know, that joy that I, I, I realized, wow, I'm not here to stay. It was a knowing. And there was this corridor off to my left and I knew intuitively I'm to go this way. And I did. And, and as you mentioned, as I made my way down the corridor, at the end of it was a crib. Now, Griffin, my youngest, was only 14 months old at the accident. He had still been sleeping in a crib. And I raced to that crib, and there he was. And he was beautiful. He was sleeping. And I know you've got children. Have you ever picked up a sleeping child? You know, there's a weight and a heat. And it was, it was so real. It was so physical. I, I swept him up, and I could feel him. And he was solid, and I could feel his little you know, body breathing, and I could feel his breath on my neck. And I thought, it's him, and he's perfect, and he's okay. And I mean, what had happened in the accident, I, I was, I, I began to just weep. In fact, I, I leaned over and I, um, I smelled his hair. I, I mean, do you ever smell the hair of a loved oh, yeah. one? And I'm like, it actually creates warm. bonding when you smell the baby's head. If something goes in the brain, it creates bonding. Well, I smelled his hair. I'm like, it's him. And I, I was just weeping in such gratitude that I got to hold my little boy. And as I did that, this, there was this huge presence behind me, this giant, cosmic, overwhelming, powerful presence. And I became fearful. I mean, I, I thought, wow, that's, that's God. And, you know, I'd grown up believing that life was a test and I was probably failing and God was going to judge me. And, and, and the fear is here I am holding my little boy and, and the guilt. I'm like, I, he's here because I crashed the car. You know, his life was cut so short because I lost control of the car. And, and this presence was coming closer and closer. And I, I had the thought, I, I hope there's some way I can be forgiven. And, and this almost, this felt physical too. As I had that thought, I felt those divine arms just wrap around and hold us both, hold me and my little boy. And then it's like the lid just came off. Like I, I, we became one. I, I suddenly, I, my, my little boy and I and the divine, we all became divine. We all became that. 
and and I begin to see my life. You know, I, I later learned they call it a life review, and I was saying, well, that was a mistake, and this beautiful, glorious, divine being communicated, no, there's no mistakes. Your life is perfect. Even the choices, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but I did that and I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And it was communicated to me, not even through words, but through this just being. It was, that's your judgments of it, not ours. We love you. And here I was holding my son and it was communicated, you are as precious and perfect and glorious and beloved and divine to us as the child you hold. And it was a very personal experience, but I knew on a cosmic level, wow, that's true of every single soul, every one of us. And, and I just, it was so overwhelming, the unconditional love that I experienced. And uh, I was given the opportunity to, uh, to exercise my will. And that was, that was interesting because I'm like, I thought it was your will be done. You know? And I was told your will is our will. That's how much we love you. And I was given the opportunity to, to, to hand my son over, to give him back, to, to let go and to trust. And then I woke up back in the hospital bed, you know, back to the amputation and all the injuries and the grief. I mean, I, I, I thought, why did I, why did I hand him over? Why didn't I just hold on, you know? But I did have a little different insight about choice and love and unconditional love. And I, I came back realizing that life is not a test. It's a gift, you know, that every moment is a sacred, beautiful gift. And, and you got uh, to see both of them on the other side, something most people aren't given. No, no. And I, I, I hesitated to share that for years, too, because how many people lose loved ones and don't get that opportunity? Now, I've later learned we can always say goodbye or hello. I mean, you know, write a letter. Do you know, I, I mean, the, the veil or that that that, you know, that that chasm is not as wide and as thick as we think it is. They're right here. They're aware of us. They they are watching over us. I've got two magnificent guardian angels. And, um, and yet I learned something keen too, and this is where Spencer comes back into it. I mean, it, it did come time for me to come home, you know, and my brothers, you know, his uncles had to lift me into the car and we drove and I was going to stay with my younger brother and, and they were awesome. They had, they had taken Spencer in those months I was in the hospital and he was living with them and they cleared out a room and put a hospital bed in it for me because I was going to continue to have home health care and you know, rehabilitation and everything else. But I was watching as we drove up into the driveway, you know. I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask you too. I love this part too. But, but there's Spencer, you know, he's looking out the window, watching his uncles, you know, my brothers lift me, his dad into the wheelchair. And I'm thinking, how's he going to deal with this? How's he going to cope? I was the rough and tumble father. I'm I'm now a crippled man with a colostomy bag and all the things that go with the injuries. And uh, he's looking and eventually he runs out as my brothers are putting me in the wheelchair and he ran toward me, but he ran right past me. He went right past me. And I thought, Oh, I knew this was just too much, too much. And I began to navigate toward the ramp. My brothers would build a ramp so I could get in the house. And, uh, and I, uh, I ran up that way. And um, anyway, as I navigated and turned just to see where 
he was, I realized he had run across the street and he was knocking on all the neighbors' doors and he was saying, come out, come out. My dad has made it home. Come see my dad. And I, again, I burst into tears. I, yeah, I, I think I cried at that part in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he eventually did come. He threw himself on my lap, which just about killed me because I still had all the sutures from the, you know, from the <laughs> abdominal repair and all that had gone on. But the reason I share that is he threw his arms around me and I, I had a huge realization. I mean, there I was in a wheelchair holding my surviving son in this realm. And that was no less divine than being in the other realms holding my son that had passed. I mean, suddenly heaven was right here. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to become. It was simply to be in that divine, profound moment and experience the unconditional love of a child which was every bit as powerful as the unconditional love of the divine creator. I mean, it's like suddenly it was all right here if I chose to experience it and be open to that. And um, yeah, Spencer's an incredible, he was an incredible kid and he had his, you know, he, he never had an experience. He never had a near-death experience or anything happen. And, you know, here I am talking about, gosh, I saw mom. I, I said goodbye to Griffin and, he kind of said, Dad, I got nothing. I'm, I'm a, I was a little boy. I begged God for years just to feel my mom once. I got nothing. That's why I told him. I said, this is all about you. Your mom defied the laws of nature, yeah. you know, to make sure your dad lived to take care of you. Your mom loved you that much. Yeah. Oh, he And he's become such an incredible man. I mean, you know, he, he never has had this, you know, that, and I think many people don't, you know, they don't have the out of body experience or some mystical, you know, thing happen. But he, uh, he said, you know what, dad, I'm going to be God's love. I'll be God's light. I'll be God's hands. I'll, I'll put, you know, he, he does, he works with traumatized kids See. and, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a musician. He's always been a musician and he's, he's all, I mean, he's a journeyman electrician as well. He does. You know, so he's working with electrical current. You know, he understands how that works, but he also understands the the energy and the electrical current of love, and, and not in a cosmic, mystical, religious realm, but in the fact that you know what, if I can just hug a strange woman at the conference and sign the <laughs> he book, did. And come, he did. He was you. so sweet. He just yeah. looked at me and he said, "Can I hug you?" <laughs> Yeah. And I said, yes. And I just hugged him. And he said, I always knew it, but I forgot. Thank you for reminding me. Well, he's just, he's an incredible young man. And I mean, he's a grown man now. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's been an interesting story. And of course, it's, it's all in knowing. That's the beautiful thing that knowing is the compilation of the first two books, but it goes on to extended chapters and his wedding and beyond and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, the near-death experience is profound, but the life experience is, is so much more. That's what matters, right? I mean, yeah. 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 When I, uh, the morning I decided to write my memoir, which I never thought I was going to publish it. It just all like everything just come to me. Like I was pushing all the spiritual stuff and all the bad stuff under the rug, the same. And I realized I had to tell the tragic part like you did. We have to get through it. And I had to write the good. 
because I felt people wouldn't appreciate the good and the spiritual things if they didn't know the hardship I went through. And, and I felt that way with your book, you know, you had to really go through the guilt and, yeah. and the suffering and the bad memories to be able for the rest of the world to read that and see how beautiful God came through and allowed your wife to come through and, you know, all the miracles that continue to go through in your life. And it's like, we're not opened up to those until something happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh boy, this, this life is a gift. And that's, that's what I've realized is the, uh, the things that I judge as bad and the things I judge as good. I, w- I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what was light or dark or bad or good or joyful or sorrowful unless I experienced all of it. And that's, you know, that's what I, that's what was so clear in the arms of the creator is look, it's all a gift and we love you. Just go and live your life and enjoy every minute and then tell us what you've learned. You know, See, just I, tell still, I still carry guilt because uh, my twins died in my NDE. Yeah. And, and I blame myself because when I was 20, my ex made me get my tubes high. And when I was 25, I found out they could be reversed. And I was told every woman has 5% chance of tubal. This will give you another 5%. And mm-hmm. I got that tubal pregnancy right off the bat. And oh. it caused me to die. It caused my twins to die. And it was going to leave my sons motherless. Mm. And, and I didn't want one thing to happen to me growing up to happen to them. And I was told it wasn't my time. And I pitched a fit. I've got to be raising my kids. And so when I, you know, heard your story, you know, even before I read your book, you know, I'd watched, I'd heard it over and over and I couldn't stop listening. Right. And I would identify with Tamara, that struggle. It, while you're in heaven, that struggle, worrying about your kids. I identified with her so much in your story. Beautiful. And one uh, I had was praying one time and I was like, God, you know, everybody wants to come back. And I was like pitching a fit, like, hell no, you know, I'm not going to stay here. And, and why me? Why was I the one that didn't want to stay? And I mean, no, I knew why because of my boys and stuff, but still, you know, all these NDE stories, like mine just didn't feel like an NDE, like, because, you know, I was fighting to come back. And I was listening to you at a talk somewhere and I continued listening to the questions afterwards. And it was like, like the second to last question somebody asked, I think. And uh, I think a guy stood up and said something to the effect of like, well, if it's so great there, then why does everybody come back? Or, you know, is there anybody that um, wants to come back? Why do they all want to stay or something like that? And you said, the exception to the rule was young mothers because they basically deal, dig their heels in the clouds, so to speak. And <laughs> I'm not quoting you, but this is just yeah. of it. And like, nobody else is going to raise my kids. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. And I jumped up and I was running through the lunar tell my husband, that's it. That's it. I got my answer. I've been praying for. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we all have such a unique path, a unique journey. And, um, you know, I, I, I do feel that nobody goes before their time, even if it's a child, um, there's order in it somehow. And yet I look at death so much differently now. You know, there is no death. I mean, we all live on. Like I say, I have these incredible guardian angels. But um, but there's those days, you know, when I think, wow, what, 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 what would have it been like? You know, what would have Griffin been like? Would have it been like Spencer? Or would he have been just 180 degrees opposite? I don't know, you know. But I've, I've experienced him. He's come to me in dreams and visions 
like I say, that 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 veil, that divider is not that thick sometimes. And and yet he doesn't come as a toddler. You know, now he comes to me as a as a magnificent young man. And uh, and I've I've had that. Uh, what I mean, I've had that honor, I suppose, as well as as I he's very connected to me, even on the other side. And you know, as the story plays out, I, I mean, it is tragic, but I must be the luckiest guy alive. I mean, I eventually fell in love again. You know, I remarried and Spencer got, he says, I have two moms. I got one up there and one here that takes care of me. And um, we I saw her. her. She's story. absolutely beautiful. Oh, she's gorgeous. She's a beautiful soul. She's as pretty on the inside as she is on the out, but we adopted two boys and I don't call them my adopted boys. They're just my sons and our sons, but, but life has offered so much in the contrast of the tragedy. And uh, yeah, I, I count myself as very lucky, very lucky. And it's the story in itself, really how you come to start speaking out when you yeah. went to a conference or you went to a group or something and, somebody approached you about a book or, I mean, it was just, yeah, I never, I never had any intention. I mean, I, I had only shared my story with my close family members, my mom, my little brother, you know, with Dr. O'Driscoll, which was interesting because he came to me, he and the nurse came when I was still in the hospital and they, they were compelled. They said, we've been moved upon. I mean, he said, I would never do that, but they were moved upon to share with me what had happened. And I had, I had not talked about my NDE or anything. I didn't want anybody to think I was crazy, but they, they were moved upon and came and shared. So it was only a handful of people that even knew what had happened to me. And um, yeah, I, I was, I, I, I was teaching a little Sunday school class on a Sunday morning and I didn't speak of the NDE. I just, the topic was the love of God. And I couldn't even say it. I would start crying. And and one of our neighbors, a woman in the, you know, in the class came up and she said, something happened to you, did it? Didn't it? And I said, well, yeah, but I don't talk about it. But she talked me into speaking to someone who was associated with uh, IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, which I reluctantly did. And then he said, you've got to come speak to our group. And I said, no way, I'm not, because I just cry. I couldn't talk about it. And I, I did go speak to the group because he said, look, people are grieving. People are hurting. And this was years after the accident. Um, and uh, yeah, there was a publisher in the audience that came up and said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. I, I barely got through the speech, let alone write a book about it. But um, it's funny what is offered when we're simply being, you know, about life and, uh, there was purpose in all of it. And I suppose I do what I did. I mean, I, when, when I wrote the book, I, I thought, well, my mom will buy a copy. I mean, I, I didn't <laughs> think much of it, but it, it hit number three in the category in the first 10 days. And all of a sudden, yeah, then I was being invited all over the world, basically, to, to talk about it. So I was almost pushed onto the stage reluctantly. And I'm better well, now. Jeff, you, know, you tell it so well. You're so humble. You're so kind. I mean, it's, you just tell yeah. it so well. And and you and like read and knowing, I felt you all through it. Like I just knew you so well. I knew your heart. I mean, uh, every every word. I just like I know him. And when you would quote some of the things that you like heard in heaven or in these experiences, 
And it was so uncannily and canny. I can't say the word like things I have heard. And I, and I was, <laughs> you, 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 this all happened apparently for a reason. Apparently my stuff happened for a reason. I mean, I suppose some people can be, go into that bitter or go turn to drugs or alcohol or there's other ways you can turn, right. but when right. you have something bad, once you're healed, you can help. And, and I can't imagine the number of people you have helped by sharing your heart the way you have. Oh, you're so kind, Peggy. And I, I can get through it now without crying the whole time. At least I've gotten better at sharing it that way. But, you know, yeah, if there's some purpose, if there's some good that can come out of it, then that's that's the reason I share. That's my purpose. And, and also the love I experienced. I mean, on the other side, there was so much unconditional love. I didn't experience any judgment. I, in fact, there was clarity, clarity, beauty, peace, joy, all of it. And uh, I thought, wow, if I could come back and in some small way, just be a manifestation of that love that I felt, then that's, that's my purpose. You know, that's the reason to share and to, uh, to open up my mouth and talk about it a little bit. Well, it was a highlight of my life when I got to Sedona in that hotel and you walked in and I ran back and, you know, I got a copy of my book and I think I gave to you and, you know, I just, um, I don't know. I was just starstruck with you because, you know, I'm sitting here in Longbottom, Ohio, Southeast Ohio. Nobody talks NDE. And so all I had was, you know, the internet and I started watching these and, and your story and, and you just the way you tell it really got me to come out of my shell and connect with more of the NDE world because I mean, there there's tragedy and then there there's something divine sometimes in our tragedies. Yeah. Now it, it all comes around in the end and, and yet the end can be a long way off. I grieved miserably for 10 years. I would, I, I, I had even remarried and, and I was still, working through it. You know, it didn't happen overnight. I don't want anyone to think that, gosh, I had this horrible accident and then I had an NDE and I was okay. No, I had a horrible accident. I had profound out of body or near death experiences. And, and then I grieved like anyone would and, and, you know, found healing on a very rocky path that was to be walked before I was okay. And when you talk about in your book, knowing of meeting your wife now, I mean, you can just tell she's a strong woman. She's not going to, you know, be threatened by, you know, you grieving for no. your wife. You can just see how strong she is in that book. Yeah, she's incredible. I mean, I remember when I realized, gosh, well, we were engaged. Like I had fallen in love. We were talking about marriage. We, we were, and I began to take pictures of Tamara down in the house and I began to put all those things away. And, and Tanya, my current wife, this speaks to her character. You know, she came over to the house and saw that I was putting that stuff away. And, um, you know, she said, you're taking down the pictures. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I want to honor you. And she said to me, she said, don't you dare take all of them down. And she said, that little boy, you know, Spencer, she said, that little boy deserves a picture of his mom in this house. And, and I mean, that, you know, just that that's her character. She, she was not threatened by that. She, um, she, and I don't know why I can still picture you talking about 
Tanya, dip in her steak and ketchup. I don't know why that sticks in my head. <laughs> she still does it. She still does it. And it drives me crazy. I'm like, you're ruining that steak. You're overcooking it and put it in ketchup. I'm a medium rare guy and just, ooh, I like him just straight up. But she likes him on ketchup. But she's she's the hero of the story for sure. She's the one that's come in and, and just been light and, and allowed, you know, allowed me to put pieces back together and she and Spencer are very close and our, our other boys, we're, we're just, um, you know, we have all the ups and downs that any family does. We go through our challenges and, and, uh, and yet somehow we just stick together and make it work, you know? Yeah. My husband's my happy ending too. And we just Good. celebrated 24 years a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Beautiful. He's my happy Beautiful. ending in my book. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. That's fantastic. So I appreciate you so much taking time to come on my little tiny podcast. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's just good to catch up. And I, uh, I you know, I, I said to Tanya, I said, I know Peggy. Peggy was in Sedona. I said, I know who she is. And so I was thrilled and honored to reconnect and to be a part of it. And, and uh, yeah, just however I can support you, let me know. You've got a lot of light to share in this world and you're doing it. That's a good thing. That's good news. I met Jeff O'Driscoll there too in Sedona. Yeah. Yeah, he was tickled that I recognized him. <laughs> He's like, you know, he was just starting out. And I was like, I know you, you Jeff O'Driscoll. He's like, I recognize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a good man. He's a good man. We've become dear friends. We've been friends. We, we met in the most horrific of circumstances and we've become good friends. So that's awesome. It's like you two go hand in hand, like. You know, Jeff yeah, we Jeff had Driscoll. no idea. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, we, you know, he was just the he was the attending physician in the trauma center. But. We found out we grew up not, you know, not a hundred miles away from each other and, and, and both in little towns and, you know, he was a cowboy and I used to be a cowboy. He was a bull rider though. I, I rode bareback horses. We played football. We, we had a very similar upbringing. So who'd have ever thought, you know? Yeah. We're getting back into farming. We got like four cows and nine sheep and, uh, five pigs and got a bunch of ducks and turkeys and boy, got bunnies. Oh, you're and <laughs> lucky. You're lucky. I, you know, it's so funny when I was young, I, I thought I got to get off the farm. I got to get off the farm. I got to get off the farm. Now I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to get back onto the farm and that simple, you know, near to the earth way of life. It's, it's a beautiful way of being. You're lucky. That's how cute goats are. We love our yeah. goats. They're adorable. <laughs> They're fun. They've got per they all have personalities. They really do. Even the cows, they have personalities. I don't think any of them are going to go in the freezer. I mean, they're a family. <laughs> We're going to go poor yeah. feeding them. <laughs> it gets that way. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a lot of work. It's a lot of work, that I know. But it's yeah. uh, it's a good way, good way of life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And oh, to everybody, goodness, I say hi. All righty. Thank you. We'll see uh -huh. you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah,